Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Weekly Podcast with me, Peter Watson. I'm joined by my good friend and ex-colleague, Ralph Hebgen, and this week we'll be talking about Greg's, NATO and the automotive sector. Hi there, Ralph. How are you doing this week? Hi, Peter. I'm very good. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. All good news. All good news. Right. So, I mean, again, another very, very eventful week uh, this week. And so um, I think let's let's get straight into this because, um, yeah, I mean, why not? Uh, that's why that's why we're all here. Right. So, uh, I mean, th- three things um, really to talk about this week. One is the uh, continued sort of exit out of covid um the second thing we're going to talk about putin and nato finland um sweden um and then the third thing is we're going to be talking about um the automotive sector and uh, a couple of um you know trends within that so there we go um so so first of all um it's interesting to see isn't it that we appear to be um continuing to move out of covid back to some semblance of normality. I mean, I found it certainly in Guildford, where I live, um, you know, I do find myself sometimes almost stepping back and thinking, wow, you wouldn't have thought there'd been a pandemic, really. I mean, it just the number of people that are there, you know, the groups of people walking around, you know, and I sometimes have to force myself to think, wow, you know, it wasn't that long ago when we were kind of crossing the street if someone was walking in your direction. And it's just, it really is amazing, I think, how things have changed. And and, and actually, that's why it also makes me think, wow, it, you you think about these people in China, you know, who are in lockdown and, you know, they've been, they've been holed up for like, you know, the best part of two months um, if you're in Shanghai. Um, it just really is, it's quite amazing to think how different that is, but actually, you know, it was real. But anyway, um, so it seems to me that, you know, things have been um, coming back um, and, um, and you know, there are certain signs of that, aren't there, uh, Ralph, that you, you sort of picked up on? Yeah, no, in, in, indeed so. I, I, I think the same thing. It really does appear as if the free world type economies are now slowly but surely coming out of out of COVID. I mean, you talked about Guildford. I, I live in London, mm-hmm. to the West End. With the West End, we covered uh, maybe even last year to a level where you would have thought, <laughs> COVID, what COVID? Yeah, um, yeah. But now the city of London, which is, of course, the financial center dominated by office buildings, which used to be empty, this is clearly coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, there are more people milling around there. I would say two thirds, maybe three fourths kind of capacity there. Mm, mm. Um, where I live, we have a lot of sort of micro economy dominated by office buildings. Yeah, they are coming back. The businesses which are adjacent to them, which is sort of sandwich shops and eateries and whatever else, are uh, clearly turning a better profit now. There's more footfall. Mm. Uh, smaller things also, you know, WFH, working from home, used to mm. be the abbreviation everybody knew. Now it's BTO, back to office, which is mm. increasingly used in people's emails. Mm. So so you can definitely see that. And it contrasts the 
a philosophy of perhaps policy which China is employing, which is the, the sort of zero COVID policy, yeah. which I think is completely unsustainable and unimplementable. Mm. So I think China is probably going to realize that at some point. And the difference perhaps between China and the uh, Western economies or the free world economies is that we have indeed learned to live with COVID. Mm. Mm. You see, this is something which people were starting to talk about possibly sort of one year, 18 months ago. And now it is actually happening. Our societies mm. are, uh, have achieved a level of vaccination where new um, cases do not lead to death as much anymore as they used mm. to be. We talked about it uh, last time. The mortality rate is perhaps now 1%, and although this mm. is, of course, still a, a tragic situation, it is no worse than the flu used to be mm. um, at all times. Uh, so, so I think, barring any other untoward development, it looks as if that is something which we can actually notch up as a, mm. as a positive for us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So, I mean, I, th I think that is, it is interesting, isn't it? That? And, you know, we've seen that um, <clears throat> there has been some evidence this week that uh, rents for um, a residential property in London are going back up again. So we saw, we saw during lockdown a, a big exodus um, into the burbs. And then now we are seeing people coming back in. I mean, I would have thought, surely, there's a lot of that is going to be at the junior end especially because I think at the junior end you're more likely to kind of want to work in the centre of things whereas I still think that maybe if you are um, you know in the family way um, you are more likely to want to live outside just because of the whole space thing needing a garden or, or you know or wanting a garden and perhaps access to better schools because if you you know even in some of the really you know, good parts of London, um, the schools in those areas are not great. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's the thing, isn't it really? Um, so I think, so I, I would have thought a lot of it's driven by younger people going back to the office and wanting that buzz. And, and I have yeah. to say, I mean, I myself can recommend from personal experience, um, certainly living in the center of things is, is a lot more, you know, is a lot more fun in many ways, especially when you're younger. I mean, Ralph is the eternal, you are the Peter Pan, um, of, uh, <laughs> uh of, of finance and, uh, you still live in the center of things. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, the sign that these rents are going up is, is good. Although you do wonder, you know, maybe maybe all this inflation is going to, you know, mean that that is, it's not going to be a long-term option because at some point, and I think that's going to be sooner rather than later, people are just going to go, I just can't pay any more. Um, but I don't know, what, what, are you, what are you finding on that front? Well, no, I, I, I sort of agree with your analysis of this. I mean, if we think back to the COVID years, and you can now say that, isn't that nice? You, uh, you yeah. already say that with some level of confidence, I do not believe I'm over-optimistic when I say it like this. Mm, so if you mm. think back to the COVID years, um, London sort of drained and everybody went to the burbs, but also to the sort of more rural areas like Kent, etc. Mm. Because uh, clearly there is flexibility now and this flexibility is there to stay, mm. working from home, 
is a sustainable option now for mm -hmm. people and I think that if anything is a positive outcome mm. of the COVID crisis mm. and I think your analysis is spot on because mm. basically people are now having established a modus operandi if you like where it is possible for them to work from home mm -hmm. and it is of course better and easier for families to actually do that um, which I think happens more at the senior end of the salary scale because mm. if you're more junior it's cool to live in town mm. and also there's another element here when you're junior in a company you haven't established yet your position on the team you haven't established as many links in the company as the more mm. senior people have you mm -hmm. are more reliant in your uh, the development of your professional wealth on mm. personal contacts and mm. that's why you would probably want to be yeah. in the office a little bit more anyway yeah definitely so um so by the by the way by the way got cut in there i've got to say um, I always used to find um, when I, you know, working in London and going out um, that generally I found that things only really started to get like properly interesting at about 11 o'clock. Uh, I think until then it was all it was all good. But really 11 o'clock is when all the truths start coming out. And um, and I felt, you know, I certainly felt like the, the reality of, of moving out of... Um, I, I lived in Greenwich uh, for a year. I, I really, by the way, I, I you know, I'm not an ambassador or anything. But I would say, I mean, I really like Greenwich. And uh, anyway, when I left there to come to Guildford, because I'm, clearly I'm, I'm working my way down the alphabet gradually um, in terms of uh, locations, um, I... I really felt that, you know, when I was going out, I had to take a, as I say, take a position sort of relatively early on in the evenings to think, is this going to be a classic? In which case, I'll quickly try and organise some kind of accommodation. Or do I think, well, it's not going to go that way. And so I'll get the, I'll get the last train. <laughs> get the last train home um so it was very difficult to judge um so so yeah that took some certainly some of the spontaneity out of it but then by that time i suppose it, it wasn't really so so key to actually stay out but yeah that's that's what i found anyway this is just simply you getting old ah uh, yes well there is yes yes yeah, indeed of course <laughs> yeah yeah and so what, what i also find is interesting that the trend um of working from home has, I think, established itself more in the UK than mm. it has in other societies. Specifically mm -hmm. in America, it is not the case so much that people are working from home. I, I, I hear this from New York, which is sort of uh, London equivalent across the pond, mm. um, that people are much less happy to stay working from home. So there's mm. a much bigger trend of coming back to the office in the US. Hmm. Nevertheless, coming back to this, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I think the trend supporting rents is definitely driven by people coming back to the metropolitan centres. Clearly, hmm. and it may well be the more junior end of the salary scale which is driving it. Um, but then there has to be a sort of rebalancing of this anyway because house prices in the countryside mm -hmm. or in the more gentrified countryside like mm -hmm. etc the commute of the distance mm -hmm. to london has been bid up by this mm -hmm. artificially and so i think all we're seeing here is house prices in london coming back up mm -hmm. uh, rental yields are coming back up mm -hmm. and inflation well that's going to be a longer term issue uh, certainly but mm -hmm. 
but 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 I think the way this what we're also seeing is, and this is something which you said, things are starting to come alive at around, well, 11, I'm sure you meant 11 p.m. But yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, that's what I mean. Uh, <laughs> 11 p.m., 11 p.m. I'm much less uh, interesting guy than you are, so I, 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 <laughs> I don't there, think so. Yeah. You know, in, the, in the sort of pre-lunchtime hour, <laughs> which gets me to... Oh, I love what you're doing here. I love what you're doing here. Yes, Ralph, what is your next point? Yeah, my <laughs> point is all the adjacent businesses around mm -hmm. the offices, yeah. like sandwich shops, yes. or specifically Greg's. See, now, it was really funny, because um, just for the li uh, listeners and, and viewers, even, um, of this, um, what tends to happen when, uh, just before this, uh, y y you know, is I do, um, you know, I send Ralph the massive, colourful spreadsheet that I use to generate the, well, it's not generate, I write the, um, uh, you know, Watson's Weekly, and I always say, hey, Ralph, what do you want to talk about? And um, when he sent me the, the email saying, oh, I want to talk about Greg's, I was like, what? What? You, you talking about Greg's? What's going on? I mean, um, are you, you know, are you partial to, uh, I don't know, a, che a cheese, a, a steak bake or, a, or, or anything like that? Yeah, if I could <laughs> it. Okay. And that is, of course, exactly the point, because I didn't used to get it anymore, because Greg's mm. was basically closed. Yeah, alongside yeah. everything else and it mm. was closed because there was no footfall and there was no footfall mm. because nobody was in the offices anymore mm. obviously mm. we know all we all know what kind of dynamic i'm talking about but it's an important mm -hmm. dynamic because there are so many businesses yeah which depend on office workers footfall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um when you actually went to out in london like a year ago or perhaps 18 months ago well, the city was deadly quiet all mm. the businesses were shuttered and it's uh, it, it was quite depressing now when you mm. go back to london uh, every everything is back on running you, you get your coffee at costas you get mm. your sandwich at greg's maybe mm. and greg has announced that it is supporting or engaging in a london-wide mm. investment in getting more greg outlet greg's mm. outlets uh, all, all across london Mm. Um, and that I think is significant because it indicates that there are now business leaders operating in the segment that clearly mm -hmm. is supported by office workers mm. who are making an investment um, expecting or indicating their expectations that the exit from COVID is sustainable. Mm, and mm. that is sort of something which I find very interesting mm. and very important mm -hmm. because clearly that was a, used to be a severe crisis. It's still going on in Asia, of course, we understand mm -hmm. this. But mm -hmm. let us focus for once on the positive side or mm -hmm. one positive side which we can identify and that is the gradual exit from COVID yeah. as the free world type societies have got to a level where the penetration of the vaccine is at a level mm -hmm. where we are just fighting new infections which are clearly still there mm. not as much many deaths not as many hospitalizations uh, that particular part of the world is getting better mm. no that is good that is good so yeah um so i like that um i like that and uh <laughs> i think that it's it's it is an interesting 
I mean, I suppose it, it is kind of an interesting barometer, isn't it, really? Um, in terms of, you know, if if the, the more Gregs there are, possibly the more um, confidence there is long term of of that, you know, that kind of thing. Because if if they thought that um, the the few, you know, that, that uh, everyone was going to be just be working from home in the future, probably there's not much point in in pursuing this. Although, again, you could say well is it opportunistic you know that they okay prices are going up again now but i i would imagine that they're not quite to the levels where they were you know that sort of rental type property um is is going to be around they they might be able to get some good deals now maybe but um but anyway i don't know i think it's, no, it's, it's I, I, I don't think it's, it's going it's mm. it doesn't sound like it is an opportunistic mm. move because there mm. is no no financial opportunity necessarily. The prices are going up because of cost push inflation, as we know. And that's mm, mm. So if Greg is making a Greg, sorry, <laughs> have yeah. a mate called Greg. So yeah. uh, Greg is making the investment, expecting a sustainable longer-term trend to mm. manifest itself, mm, mm. and that is positive. I mean, there are other elements like that. I mean, Schroders has for a long time now. Um, said that it is in commercial property expecting a rebound there mm, mm -hmm. and and yeah so i i think that's definitely a sign mm. that there is an underlying positive dynamic in the economy mm. uh, waiting to be tapped yeah of course, no. not saying here that there are no problems there are a lot more problems here than there are opportunities but i do think that mm. the greg's uh, strategic decision is significant yeah absolutely i mean maybe they could buy all the prets that are closing down perhaps um because i mean that's the thing isn't it part of the problem is is that you know prets pret has has had the opposite or had a its major problem has been um being much more exposed to the office market and even worse than that from from the you know pandemic point of view they are very 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 heavily exposed to london but conversely, you know, you would have thought that the bounce back is like to, likely to be sharper as people return. Um, oh, anyway, the other thing I was going to say that just reminded me when you were talking was um, I did read an interesting article this week that was about um, apparently the city of London. They're going to make they're going to try to make it more of a fun place to be. Um, and I think, you know, that would be good. Because, I mean, you know as well as I do, um, the city specifically is dead, isn't it? On on the weekend, if you were to go to Bank Station and wander around the city, it's there's virtually nothing open. It's pretty boring. It used to be a bit like that at Canary Wharf, but you've been you've lived around Canary Wharf now for quite a while, haven't you? And mm. I would say that actually, I would imagine that actually Canary Wharf is it over the years has become its own kind of destination, hasn't it? And well, it, there's loads of stuff, it's and it's still buzzing, isn't it? Now. Yeah. I mean, the, the only issue here, perhaps, is that there are no quality schools, which you mentioned yeah. earlier, as, as yeah. an important urban um, part of the demographic. But uh, but no, absolutely, it's it's mm. vibrant, it's buzzing, people are out. Uh, mm. There are lots of businesses out here uh, facilitating, you know, dining on the. Mm. Mm. On the shores of the Thames, etc. Mm. And the mm. city, yeah, I mean, sure, I mean, it tends to be a lot deader <laughs> yeah. at the weekends. Yeah. 
what you do get is uh, people who are looking at the touristic attractions in Paul's Cathedral, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but you still, and there are some, there used to be some cultural activities. It was actually surprisingly difficult, it used to be, to get a car space, a parking space in the city at the weekends. You would be right. amazed how difficult that used to be. Oh, good laws. Interesting, interesting. Um, can I was just going to say, Ralph, do you, you don't need to show off that you live in a, in a like a, you know, uh, an exciting urban area because you can turn off those sound effects of the the car sirens and stuff the police sirens and things going off in the backgrounds you know it's okay you don't have to do that okay so you, you know but uh, <laughs> i tell you police sirens going off in the background is not necessarily a good sign <laughs> <laughs> okay well the good thing is it sounds like they're going away uh, rather than coming to they're not getting louder so so i mean that's that's a good thing uh, anyway right Let's let's move on. Let's move on to the second thing. So, um, so uh, Putin, NATO. So, the, you know, the big thing, the big thing recently has been, you know, Finland, Sweden um, applying to join NATO, going against ye years, decades, centuries of being kind of neutral. Um, and uh, and the fact that uh, so that happened. Um, but President Erdogan of Turkey is being his usual wily old self um, and and trying to stop that because he um, objects to them. He objects to them because they are tr they um, support, from his point of view, terrorists in Turkey. But he hasn't shut the door completely. I suspect he's holding out for some kind of concessions um, from Europe, uh, etc. But I thought that was quite interesting. But what was even more interesting than that was that Putin said um, that he was okay with it. Whereas very, very recently, he made some very thinly veiled threats that, that if they did join, there would be consequences. So again, what do you think of that? Well, I find that is hugely significant, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah. <clears throat> because Putin uh, has made threats or veiled threats um, recurrently now since the war in the Ukraine started. Mm -hmm. There's always things like, if you do that, then there will be technical and military repercussions. Mm -hmm. And this is what he said specifically, Finland, uh, Finland in particular, of course, but also Sweden, if you guys join NATO, then there will be consequences and we will respond in a technical and military way. Nobody mm. knows what that means, and of course it is deliberately phrased in a vague way, so we can all fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. um, but it is clearly saber-rattling of the same type as when his foreign minister recently said, this is maybe a month ago, uh, that Europe is making it a dangerous place for themselves to live. One might think about risk to civic aviation, dot, dot, dot. So, I mean, this type of veiled threat is, I think, increasingly revealing itself to be empty. Hmm. I, I'm not going to be too optimistic here. It is not a good strategy to make light of Russia as a threat. Hmm. But it is clear to me that if, 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 if Putin said this, uh, repeatedly in order to perhaps thwart the motivation of Finland and Sweden to enter NATO and now he has climbed down very clearly and said yeah this is cool you you can join as long as you don't station particular type of rockets uh, within whatever it might be a mile from the mm. Russian Finnish border 
Mm -hmm. So that's clearly climbed down and it lives in a sort of context of similar type climb downs. If you remember his 9th of May speech, which was you know, impatiently in, uh, awaited by the West, we were all thinking he might actually say something really quite drastic there and go to a national mobilization. I mean, none of that happened. Mm. Uh, and if he wasn't unable to say anything there, then you can be pretty sure that there is not that much capacity uh, left for him to 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 mobilize. Mm. So that was mm. the second one, and then of course also we know <clears throat> the other one, which is now uh, quite quite some time ago when he basically said, well, we didn't want to have Kiev anyway, and we were always wanting to focus on the Donbas. So all all of these things clearly indicate that the sanctions are working, the Russian economy is being uh, crippled, perhaps that's too dramatic a word, the capacity of the Russian economy to support the war effort is being impeded, mm. and uh, there is less that Russia can do than meets the eye, mm. I think. So I don't want mm. to be too optimistic, but I do mm -hmm. think it is significant him to say that yeah. in the context of his recent more recent yeah. comments. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So again, you know, we'll see how that you know how, how that pans out. Um so not really I can't really add very much to that, I don't think. So yeah, um all very interesting stuff. Okay, so the last thing is really about um the automotive sector. And I think it'd be fair to say that over the, uh, well, you know, certainly last few months, it seems that there's been a, a trend emerging that some car companies are deciding that they want to concentrate on the high end of, um, um, of, of the scale in terms of the models that they make because they are more profitable and therefore it's more efficient to just you know funnel your resources into there. Now they've always they've already been doing that. Um, in terms of the uh, with with the uh, 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 the shortage of of chips, so say a VW in particular has um, essentially funneled the chips that it does have to the high end kind of Bentley uh, you know mark and and other marks you know so it's funneled those into there um, and. Um, and, and you know, to the extent that uh, VW said that it would be cutting the number of um, models in its lineup from 100 currently down to 40, which is a a, a very dramatic um, cut. Um, so I think that that was interesting. And then we saw this week that Mercedes, um, uh, you know, argued that they they were going to do the same thing. But I mean, what do you think? I mean, I know you are a, a bit. I say a bit of a petrol head. Um, you are. You do. You don't. You do love this stuff. So, um, so yeah. What do you think? What's your take on it? I'm not a petrol head. Not really. Yeah. I mean, I'm well, not, I like you've driven some cool cars, mate. You've yeah, driven yeah, some cool yeah, cars. It was always fun, but I can't remember the uh, technical specification of any of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were tended to be fast, and that was cool. Mm. Anyway, um, what did I want to say? Oh yes, it, it makes sense to me. Mm for VW to reduce the vast landscape of models which they used mm. to have mm -hmm. in order to something more manageable. And, and because obviously the times we live in are such that uh, cost of living crisis, discretionary incomes are coming down, people at every level of the salary pyramid are having less to spend. Mm. And, uh, and I also think that 
it is perhaps becoming less interesting to people to customize their VW or BMW or Porsche mm. or whatever it might mm -hmm. be. Um, and, and they're quite happy to choose from a, a reduced range of models. Mm. Um, now, and I think that is what VW is doing, and that mm -hmm. is to some extent what Mercedes is doing, and I think it's the sign of the times and the right thing to do. Mm. Also, of course, we are living in a world where we are going to see the transition away from petrol cars towards increasingly electric cars. Mm. In fill in the blank, don't know, 10 years, 20 years time, mm -hmm. 50 years time, we're going to have no more petrol cars on the road or mm -hmm. only sort of old generation type cars, mm -hmm. will be petrol cars, where everything else which is incrementally coming to the market is going to be an electric car. Mm. So again, it seems to be the right thing to sort of gradually phase out the focus on petrol cars and focus mm. on uh, the, the new technology coming in. Mm -hmm. Now, as automotive operators, <laughs> that's not a word, as, as, as motor companies are going through this transition period facing the challenge, they all sort of respond to this challenge in slightly different ways. And, and I found it interesting that Mercedes apparently is now wanting to focus on the top end, but not the luxury top end, which is where they are anyway, mm. but the sort of sports car top end, like becoming a rival or competitor at least to Ferrari. Mm. That is weird to me, I have to say. I don't know what you think about this. I mean, they clearly have the technology mm. to do it. They are far better now as a Formula One operator than Ferrari is currently mm. have been for the last 10 years. Mm. But for a company of such breadth and I think a mark which lives in mark spelled R-Q-U-E, so yeah. like, a, like, a, like a brand recognition which lives in the perhaps luxury space mm -hmm. uh, to take on a company which is exclusively focused on race history and basically drivable race history. I mean, that's basically what you get when you drive. Mm -hmm. So I, I find it interesting, a little bit surprising for Mercedes to identify that particular niche as a as an arena of operation for the future. What, what do you think? Mm. I mean, I don't know how much they are in reality going to go, at, at, you know, to that very specialist end of the market. I mean, maybe it just means that they'll just cull um, some of the more affordable, you know, models lower down. Um, because I seem to remember, you know, many, a, a long time ago, I, I mean, I do think this is this goes back maybe 20 years or something, you know, that sort of Merck have got one of these and, and BMW have got one of these, like a sort of golf equivalent. So Audi has the A3, doesn't it? And BMW, I don't know, is it the X1? I don't know, and they or X3 or something. Uh, no, X1. Anyway, they've all got their sort of uh, golf equivalents, okay. you know, like a small hatchback, you know, that sort of thing. So I would have thought, surely, you know, uh, they would be able to cull those with, with not that much, um, you know, too much worry, I would have thought. Um, and then, but then that leaves space for the other more, say, volume manufacturers um, to actually do something about it um and i think that the the way that they're going to have to do that is to consider continue what they've been doing thus far which is um um you know joint ventures in terms of r and d 
um, and or, or, or um, you know, working with each other in specific geographies on certain things. I think there's going to be more of that. Um, the consolidation has been happening for the last few years anyway, um, but also more of this sharing of platforms um, because if they can have uh, one platform um, then you know they just change I guess essentially what's on the top of it um, so I do think it's it's an interesting one to um, uh, to you know certainly to, to consider because the market will change I definitely think the market will change and the other thing I think is that you know cars I think they've cars have always been a sort of a status symbol I think you guess depending on which ones you get but um, I think some of these marks like you know BMW Mercedes which I would argue have maybe lost some of their luster because they've had these affordable you know, cars at the bottom end, you know, at the, at the lower end, um, I actually think could, I, I actually think that they could perhaps recapture it. But whether or not they're going to be enough people to afford those cars, um, it, you know, certainly in the short term is, is quite, you know, is up, is up for question. Because, um, like I say, I think that many people liked the idea that they were able to get on the ladder as it were of a of a mark like bmw or mercedes with a smaller car and then perhaps i i would imagine as time goes on some of those people who maybe renew their cars after say two years they will go from a you know whatever it is well i forgot what like the golf equivalent is to a to a three series a four series then they have a you know then they have a family and so they then go on to the you know the x5 or x3 x5s you know all that kind of thing so yeah i mean i i think it's interesting i think it's in in many ways i i, I quite like the idea of companies generally niching down and, and trying to really sort of hone in on who they're um, target market is mm -hmm. um, but um, but then like I said I think it will leave space for others to develop but they in order to make um, profit on these cars they can't rely on you know fat margins they have to sort of well not initially anyway I mean they they I think that they have to rely on reducing costs um, so that that gives them some margin to play with but uh, but yeah I mean that's that's I mean that's certainly what I would say on that front yeah, there's just one thing I wanted to take up on this. You said that car ownership and cars have always been, to some extent, about prestige, yeah. social status. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. It's not just social status in the sense of, look at how wealthy I am, though. Mm. It is other kind of ideas, like if you have a family, you have a nice let's say SUV or whatever mm -hmm. and you can demonstrate your status as a family through that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And increasingly I think it is going to be the status of the more sort of switched on socially aware professional who um, is aware of climate change and the responsibility mm. to the environment and we demonstrate this by owning an electric vehicle Mm. Uh, so I think that is also something which will live well within an established mark mm. like Mercedes or BMW or whoever. Mm. Um, because I think also what we've seen recently from Tesla in particular mm. is that Tesla continues to have a sort of maybe rocky ride. It's, just not, it's, it's not an unabated mm. positive feedback mm. that you get from Tesla. 
again, this you're you're working towards another fantastically seamless uh, seamless transition here because yeah, we were Tesla going to the yeah, yeah to talk about <laughs> Tesla because the thing is is that um, I think with Tesla. It was very interesting this week that they weren't included or they dropped out of the S&P 500's ESG index. Mm. And that is a big deal. And you know it's a big deal because um, Elon Musk was very angry about the whole thing and was basically saying, look, we've done so much for the planet and etc. We don't deserve to be uh, put out because the the interesting thing was um that they were replaced by exxon <laughs> which is a massive oil company which you really wouldn't have thought goes in in into an esg index although um they're talk that you know maybe we need to be a bit more um mindful that that you know they they because of some of the things that they do that maybe they should be in the esg index because by not being in it they're missing out on money because investors will generally, uh, over the years, more investors have been investing in funds, in themed funds like ESG. Um, I mean, I know my wife is a, um, uh, you know, an advisor uh, to to high net worths, and um, there are often, you know, uh, occasions where clients will say, "Look, you know, I've got X amount of money." I'm doing okay, but I'd really like to help the, you know, the, the, the planet. So where can I put my money? And you, they, you know, you would say, well, okay, what about this ESG fund that tracks the, uh, S and P 500 ESG? And then they go, yeah, okay. And they, they, they do that. I mean, it, it, it's very, I think, I mean, I, I've said this a long time. It, it's, it's, it's it's not as easy as it seems this ESG malarkey because what is it counts as ESG to one person is not ESG to someone else and clearly that is what's happened with Tesla um, and and you know I don't think it's a case of a few people sitting in a room and flipping a coin um, you know I, I imagine they have a checklist of what it must and must not do and I think it won't have been helped for instance by this week that that news about. Um, the deaths of, of, of the tragic deaths of three people in a 2022 registered um, Tesla Model S, which actually, by the way, as an aside, I think the Model S is the best looking uh, model out of all of the cars that they sell, in my mm -hmm. humble opinion. Um, but, you know, things like that, the way they treat employees um, has not been good. So, again, you know, so it's, it all is not... Uh, all is not 100% uh, perfect at uh, Camp Tesla. Yeah, it's, uh, th this is what I meant when I said the news flow which you hear connected with Tesla is mm. by no means unabatedly positive always. Mm. Mm. And I, of course, cannot speak to this. I have never worked at Tesla. I don't know mm. what uh, this news flow is based on, but simply allegations that perhaps the working climate there is uh, not conducive to upholding mm. whatever it might have been in this case equality mm -hmm. at the workplace um, that there might be bullying that the cars may not be safe mm. all of this perhaps to some extent is also linked to the uh, well uh, uh, un undisputable success of Tesla mm. because mm. every the focus is on Tesla is the uh, the 
wonder child of the electric vehicle market. Mm. Not just electric, it's also high tech mm. uh, because it has uh, self-driving capabilities, etc. Mm. So uh, this is why I said earlier, perhaps it is that the sustainable electric vehicle technology or segment will be more sustainably um, housed or domiciled within the grand established marks, mm. Mercedes, etc., who are gradually beginning to uh, develop a maybe more sustainable uh, presence in that in, in that market. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, if you look at the share price of Tesla, it has negatively responded to this, but then at the same time, we're still trading at 90 times price earnings multiple, mm. which... Um, just put that in perspective, if it was a hundred times and you turn it around, earnings divided by price, you have a sort of like a return, a yield, uh, mm. that would be 1%. Mm. So it's so mm. expensive that you don't really get much for your money, if, mm. you, if you put it, uh, if you look at it that way. Mm. The point mm. is simply that, I'm sort of going back to this a little bit, uh, what I said earlier in my comment, perhaps to some extent, the negative news flow relating to Tesla is that they are a victim of their own success to some extent. Interesting. And on that note, I think we shall end for this week. So, um, so look, as always, um, absolutely brilliant to um, to have you on this show, Eve. Is it a show? Is it a show? It's about yeah, podcast, podcast, yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah. And I I notice um, behind you there's uh, there's oh. some books as well. Um, oh, we haven't mentioned that today, have we? Uh, uh, Happiness Rules by Mark Hebwood. Mark Hebwood, of course, being the pen name of um, Ralph Hebgen, because um, he, he he had to, you know, be all secretive about it and very exciting. Um, but um, uh, is it is it true that you're going to be releasing a, a, a series of uh, romantic uh, romantic novels uh, in in the near future at all? Yes, I think that's entirely <laughs> invented. This, uh, <laughs> but it certainly is the case that I'm yeah. planning to write a novel. Yeah, Fifty Shades of Blue, perhaps. Fifty Shades yes. of Blue. It was going so well. <laughs> <laughs> I want to publish those if it ever happens, guys, under yes. my own name. Anyway, this is not yes. about this. I wish it was, but uh, <laughs> it isn't. So thank you okay. very much. Everybody. No problem at all, mate. Always good to talk to you. And uh, we'll be back, I believe, next week, I think. Um, but anyway, excellent. So thank you very much. Have a great uh, weekend, etc. Until we see you uh, next time. Thanks, Thanks Peter. Thank Bye. You. Bye.